0: Hello Rebels, today is my Canada Day show, and welcome to the podcast. Before I get out of the way, please consider becoming a premium subscriber. It's eight bucks a month, and we put all the money to producing the good stuff. You can get that at the rebel.media slash shows. Thanks, here's the episode. You're listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Happy Canada Day, it's July 1st, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon hey, consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why i publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Look, we like to complain that's part of politics, but this really is the best country in the world. Friendly, peaceful, safe, beautiful, large, and it's our home. Today is Canada Day, Dominion Day as it's properly called, and for a media company that criticizes, it's worth taking a moment to praise. But, and maybe this is obvious, the reason we criticize is because we think that many of the things we love about Canada are in jeopardy. Donald Trump's motto in the States was, make America great again. And in a lot of important ways, America had fallen back from greatness. It was disrespected abroad. It had a growing malaise at home economically. There were great swaths of the United States that the coastal elites were content to write off as the rust belt and tell factory workers just to learn how to code. The idea that America could be great again, say, as an industrial power, was a laugh to all the experts. Barack Obama said, you'd need a magic wand.
1: He's going to bring all these jobs back. Well, how exactly are you going to do that? What are you going to do? There's, the, there's no answer to it. He just says, well, I'm going, I'm going to negotiate a better deal. Well, how, How exactly are you going to negotiate that? What magic wand do you have? Well,
0: abracadabra. Uh, It didn't take a wand. It took a government to get its foot off the neck of the country's entrepreneurs. Uh, So what about here in Canada? Funny enough, we own the rights to the slogan, Make Canada Great Again. And we have little hats to that effect. It was a bit of a lark, a riff, an homage to Trump's slogan, but I think there's some truth to it too. More with having passing day of Trudeau's leadership. Trump commands the respect and the friendship of many world leaders, especially in the global wave of populist nationalists. Brazil's Jair Bolsonaro has turned that country from an anti-America, a hateful socialist den into, I think, the most pro-U.S. boosters in the world, with the possible exception of Israel. Trump has a raft of Eastern European leaders strongly by him, especially in patriotic countries Like Poland, the globalist leaders like France's Emmanuel Macron and Germany's Angela Merkel. Well, not so much, but so what? Their own citizens hate them, too. So it's no losses, riots literally every week for more than half a year now in France. Trump is taking on China in a way that no one thought was possible. Cutting out their economy from access to the crucial U.S. market. Trump has boosted oil and gas production so much that America is now a net exporter. And that's putting real pressure on a lot of bad guys from Russia's Vladimir Putin to the OPEC dictatorships. But Trump isn't jingoistically against those countries either. I think he genuinely wants to have a working relationship with most countries, including Putin. It's just hard to look at anything in a relationship with Russia without thinking of the massive conspiracy theory, the fake news in the past two years, namely the allegation that Trump worked with the Russians in the 2016 election. I just love this little moment from the G20. I thought that was funny. And Trump is trying to put together a coalition of more moderate Muslim countries against terrorism and to contain Iran the same way he's trying to contain and disarm North Korea. So I think Make America Great Again really is a meaningful slogan in terms of trade and energy and factories and foreign affairs. Canada pretty much the opposite. I mean, did you see this craziness just the other day? A politically powerful governor in India who happens obviously to be a proud Sikh himself, he's literally calling for sanctions against Canada. Have you ever heard that before? Because he says Canada under Trudeau has become too chummy with Sikh separatists, he says. And it's tough to disagree with that diagnosis. I mean, Trudeau really did bring that convicted terrorist on the right there his name is Paul Atwal along with him to India last time it's just nuts that he did that India the second biggest country in the world by population and then there's China we know they have had our hostages for more than a year did you see the news just the other day Chinese military jets buzzed a Canadian warship coming within a few hundred meters of the ship in a massive show of force that's nuts but no more nuts than China banning all Canadian agriculture really and Trudeau really not doing anything about it. And from all indications, when Christia Freeland went on the radio to beg diplomats to return her calls, well, I don't think they have yet. I have
1: sought uh, repeatedly a meeting with Wang Yi, the foreign minister, my counterpart. <sighs> Thus far, that meeting hasn't happened. But if Chinese officials are listening to us today, let me repeat that I would be uh, very... Um, very keen to meet with Minister Wang Yi or to speak with him over the phone at the earliest opportunity.
0: Yeah, he's just not that into you, girlfriend. So that's foreign affairs. But of course, most of our lives as Canadians is our lives in Canada, not really caring about foreign countries. And in Canada, entire industries, entire regions have been written off by Trudeau, namely oil and gas and pipelines and mining. Trudeau ran through anti-industry bills over the objection of a majority of provinces with a majority of the population and the economy of the country to indulge this kook. Instead of just looking at the environmental impacts, we'll look at how a project could affect our communities and health, jobs and the economy over the long term, and we'll also do a gender-based analysis. Gender-based analysis on (laughs) new mining projects in Canada. I'm sure there'd be lining up at the New York Stock Exchange to invest in mining projects in Canada. <laughs> Needed gender analysis. Oh my God. Can, can you imagine that? So you've got the gutting of the most important resource industries in Canada. And you're replacing those real jobs with crony capitalism. Basically, handouts to friends of Trudeau, like the $12 million in free fridges given to Loblaws, one of the richest country, companies, the Westons, one of the richest families. You know, we can see you're paying that bribe, right? We can we can see you, right? A dozen years ago, we called Jean Chrétien and his team the Lebranos after Tony Soprano's mafia family. Well, I think that fits again the corruption, the bribes, especially the whole SNC-Lavalin scandal and Trudeau's attempt to get the Attorney General to drop the case against his friends is crazy. So that's why we fight because we love Canada and we hate what is being done to it and because part of Canada is free speech and part of our duty is to criticize and oppose the worst of a government's instincts. That's why it's called a loyal opposition. We love Canada. We just disagree with a particular set of politicians. That's a democratic duty, I think, regrettably. There are fewer and fewer of us doing it, in the media at least, as so many media companies have agreed to be rented out by Trudeau as part of his $600 million media bailout, which is on top of his $1.5 million bailout each year to the CBC. The watchdogs have been bribed. They're lapdogs now. It's just us at The Rebel and a handful of other independent media. And you, of course. You, grassroots Canadians. Today's Canada Day, a day to remember what we love about Canada and why, and to rededicate ourselves to fighting for it. In the weeks ahead, we'll show you some exciting new changes we're bringing to The Rebel, including, believe it or not, a new name, a new logo, and a brand new website. Watch for those later this month. And in this important election year, watch for some very special projects that only we in this whole country, I believe, are equipped to do things that I hope will make our country stronger. Stay with us for more. Well, in the last five years, the issue of transgenderism has gone from an obscure fringe to the center of the culture. I kid you not, it was only after a vote by a small committee of the highly political American Psychiatric Association delisted transgenderism as a mental disease that it became a political fashion and then a political requirement, and not just for avant-garde Hollywood shows like Transparent, not just for Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, but in our schools, teaching children of tender years, kids as young as six. And the most troubling story I've heard yet on this file comes from our friend Barbara Kay, columnist at the National Post and the Post Millennium. She has an article a few days ago in the National Post. Let me read the headline to you. It's called When Gender Identity, Education and Theory goes wrong, and she joins us now via Skype. Barbara, great to see you again. A very troubling story.
1: It is indeed, uh, Ezra. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, it's our duty to have you on to talk about this. Can you tell me about the family, a mom and dad named Pamela and Jason Buffoni, if I'm pronouncing the name right, and they have a six-year-old daughter who we know only as N. She was in the Ottawa Carleton School Board. Uh, Tell us what happened to the six-year-old, uh, the six-year-old girl,
1: according to the mother uh, and their statement of claim uh, to the Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario, uh, the child—this is a child that was uh, happy in school, also very comfortable in her biological skin—had never, for one second, shown the slightest interest in or confusion over uh, discussion about her her gender identity. So uh, one day, comes home from school last uh, January, in fact and starts, and was in a state of some distress. Uh, Her teacher had told the class, they had started a program in gender studies or whatever, and the teacher had told the class that there's no such thing as boys and girls. She said to the class, girls aren't real and boys aren't real, according to this child, uh, who was extremely distressed over it, and uh, continued to be distressed over a period of weeks as these lessons uh, went on, and, in fact, asked her parents if she could go to a doctor because she was concerned about the fact that she was not a real girl. So uh, these these parents, of course, uh, very concerned themselves, went to see the teacher. Uh, the teacher defended her program. She didn't deny that she had said this, and she said, "This is this is the way the world is now, and we have to teach uh, about these things. This is this is you know, in fact, um, uh, an educational." Program I'm doing, I'm sorry. You know, she didn't even care. With uh, the teacher, that the parents had said, look, if you're affirming the gender identity of those with gender dysphoria, can you not affirm those who do not have gender dysphoria, who who feel content to be who they are in sync with their biological? No, that was not her issue at all, and uh, they got no joy from her. The uh, principal backed her up. To the hilt. So eventually the parents went up the ladder, up the hierarchy, and ended up with the superintendent of schools who also uh, defended this program. Uh, in frustration, they uh, did launch this. Uh, they took they took their daughter out of the school, put her in a, um, uh, a parochial school where she is content these lessons, uh, their gender fluidity is not being taught in this school and she is happy again at the school
0: you know so it's they just, want, it's yeah. just to, to tell a six-year-old that i mean mm-hmm. children are not ready to handle these heaviest of matters children are pre-sexual to force such bizarre sexual thoughts on a child is i would say tantamount to child abuse there's so many things we protect protect children from we don't even we we in fact try and extend the amount of time that kids believe in santa claus or the tooth fairy because that's part of being a child and not that those are important things but we we try and have this age of innocence and it's not just that we're sexualizing these kids we're telling them lies 99 point something percent of people are fine being boys or girls. I'm not even talking about being gay. I'm just saying you're a boy or you're a girl. And so it's not even that this is grossly inappropriate. It's a lie also.
1: It is a lie, but what is even more disturbing to me is the impulse behind these programs. I'm not accusing this particular teacher. She's just uh, drunk the Kool-Aid because she went through teacher's college, uh, and they're now escalating uh, the intensity of these uh, these ideological fantasies and encouraging uh, teachers to make them uh, front and center as part of their, their educational material. What bothers me is uh, the people that made up these lessons. Uh, They are driven, in my opinion, uh, by uh, an impulse of voyeurism. Uh, Voyeurism is a wish to see um, sexual fantasies played out in other people. And and people that have this uh, sort of sense of voyeurism with regard to children are very eager to see young children who have never considered anything like sexual desire, because as you say, they're in the latency period. Uh, wish to see these children exposed to ideas that where they can see this dawning recognition of something that they didn't ask for they that they had no wish for and yet is now entering their thoughts and they get a kick out of it not as i say not this particular teacher uh, but the people that devise this they themselves there's something very unhealthy yeah. going on in their heads and i i find it very disturbing
0: well i mean let's Let's go the next step and remind our viewers that Ben Levin, who was the deputy mm-hmm. minister of education under uh, the previous liberal government, whose department revised the sex ed curriculum, he was convicted of child pornography. He was convicted mm-hmm. of, and it's so horrific, I'm sorry to say it, but I would, I have to say it because it actually happened. He was trying to recruit other people uh, family's children and he even said he had uh, sexual designs on his own grandchildren this is Ben Levin who was convicted and sentenced to prison he was in charge of the curriculum for Ontario
1: yeah and you know what yeah everybody said that was oh no 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 that's irrelevant it's not irrelevant it's not irrelevant there is something uh, unhealthy very unwholesome at work in a program that targets children for revelations about sexual desire at an age when they should not be thinking and they do have to talk about sexual desire cuz you can't talk about certain things like homosexuality without a child understanding what sexual desire is yeah,
0: it's it's so gr- i mean my my first objection is how young it is but my second is that they're they're what they're telling them is weaponized sexual politics there's something else in your essay i want to read um, you, you mention uh, I'm just going to read a passage you say one respondent who wishes anonymity told me her son's story um, the, uh, of, of a, a boy who came home one day announced he was quote pansexual and a demi-girl these are, these are made up words by the way mm-hmm. and here's the key part this is see a psychologist When she was told the name of the school and teacher, the therapist exclaimed, you are the seventh set of parents from that class who have come to me with this problem. This is not teaching. This is what the most uh, caricatured, uh, prudish, um, accusation! Oh, they're, they're recruiting young people. Like the, the, the caricature of the sex-ed prude was someone who said, oh, they're trying to gay our youth or they're trying to sexualize our youth, they're trying to come for our youth, and people would laugh and say, oh, stop being such a prude. I'm sorry, when you have one teacher flip mm-hmm. on a bizarre sexual light switch of seven kids in, mm-hmm. a, in elementary school what else is that and and
1: it's it's grooming ezra it's grooming and it's it it's 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 turning young minds uh into uh, it's recruiting and it's also to get them thinking all the time all the time about gender sex gender sex that's that's what they're i call it grooming because uh as you say, it's 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 sexualizing children before they're ready, and uh, yeah, I find it very abusive, and and I find it also to be a kind of mass delusion, because you have people right up to the superintendent of schools who thinks this is okay. Yeah. Um, in years to come, we'll look back on this as as a very serious uh, a very serious widespread contagion that that is is terrible.
0: You know, I have a friend in Ottawa who resigned from the board of their major children's hospital there when he saw how they had an, a proactive program to pump these kids like they so these kids come in and instead of talking them down, they pump them full of meds to yeah. transition children of tender years into boys or girls that they're not. He quit the board he was of uh, the hospital, he was so disgusted with so it's not just mind games. They're, they're pumping these children full of meds, and if you dare speak against this, I guess they don't call you an Islamophobe, they call you, I don't know what they a call
1: it. A yeah, transphobe. transphobe. Yeah, that's, yeah. The, that's
0: the new thing. I, I find this deeply troubling.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, when's the pushback? Where's the pushback coming from? I think a lot of new Canadians, uh, new immigrants from more socially uh, conservative countries I think that instead of fighting in a noisy way, they're just withdrawing. I know that there were some schools, heavily Muslim schools in the Toronto area, where literally hundreds of Muslim kids were removed from the public school Mm -hmm. over the Kathleen Wynne sex ed. I see in the United Kingdom, in Birmingham, uh, schools that are 90 plus percent uh, Muslim. They're actually having noisy protests. We're not at that stage yet here in Canada. I think old stock Canadians, to use a phrase... I think that they are too politically correct to put up a fight. Maybe it's newcomers. Maybe it's Chinese or Muslim or South Asian newcomers who are going to say, don't do that to my kid.
1: Yeah, they they would have no compunction about about saying it out loud. One of the reasons that I think that parents here are too... tip, First of all, I would say 90% of parents have no idea this is going on because even though a lot of kids are having confusing thoughts, they don't don't tell their parents about it. And, And by the way, the parents are not informed uh prior to these lessons about the materials that in fact that these lessons are going on or nor are they informed about the materials that are being used but even when the parents do know and even when they are upset about it they have fears and and they're not unreasonable fears that if they complain uh that the schools will uh they get very hostile the schools and they tell the kids by the way they say your your parents uh, uh, are not in charge of this, and if you want to, if you want to uh, be a boy at school or a girl at school, you don't have to tell your parents. We won't tell them. And 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 more. Moreover, uh, if some parent does complain too much, uh, they uh, they will threaten to call social services, and they might even do so. And in fact, I know one one person, one mother. Uh, they, they did call social services. She won her case in the end, but she had to actually go to court over it uh, because she objected to these materials.
0: That is shocking. You know what? You made me think of two things. In Alberta, there was a controversy because they have these gay-straight alliances, and those mm-hmm. are typically in high school. but And, and they're run by sexual activists, grown-ups, talking about sexuality with, with kids who are uh, not of age. And these clubs have a secrecy clause, basically a non-disclosure clause. And in Alberta, under Rachel Notley, it was illegal, to illegal for a teacher to even contact a parent, even if the teacher was worried. And yeah. so the secrecy is a key element here, because what they're doing to the children, would ne- they know it would never be countenanced by the parents. I, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but... But you made me think of Pavlik Morozov. Do you know who I'm talking about? Informant number one in the Soviet Union. uh, When Stalin was forcibly collectivizing the farms in Ukraine. Uh, I don't know if the story is uh, a legend, if it's apocryphal or if it really happened. but But a young boy named Pavlik Morozov, who wasn't even 10 if I recall, overheard his parents criticizing Stalin's plans and he reported his own parents to the state and they were sent to the gulag and he was given an honorific by Stalin, they called him informant number one and from that moment on, Boy Scouts in the Soviet Union, the young pioneers, would wear a little lapel pin with the face of Pavlik Morozov and he was held up as the role model for all Soviet boys, that Mm -hmm. it is, a higher noble patriotism to turn your parents into the government for what they say in your own house. That is the highest honor. And this maintained until the fall of the Soviet Union in 1989. For for almost, what's that? For almost 60 years, the Soviets taught their children to betray their own parents. You gave me a flicker of that when you said they go after the parents and threatened to take the kids away. That's that's informant number one in the Soviet mm-hmm. Union.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, people say, look, you can't use this kind of language to, when you speak about totalitarianism, and uh, and you're you're inflating uh, you're inflating the issue far. More, you're making far more out of it than it is. But I I I disagree. I think that the intrusion of the state into a child's mind it, it's an invasion of a child's mental security uh, That that to frighten them to frighten them by suggesting that their their own body is is Surreal or that there's something not real about their biology uh, Is is such a cruel thing to do and they say that it's in the name of inclusion uh, But it's in the name of something far more disturbing than that
0: Well, Barbara you have upset me and now I'm going to do some more due diligence into my own children's school uh, Because who knows? What has been, yeah. and, and that's the thing, is that these things start with the premise of don't tell the parents. Barbara, thank you for this, and congratulations on your essay. In closing, I note that uh, over uh, that yesterday, the CBC uh, put was it two or three reporters on an attack on you. And one of your uh, publications called The Post-Millennial, we enjoy reading The Post-Millennial, very interesting stuff. I think it took two or three CBC reporters to come and attack you. At least they gave (laughs) you the compliment, they called you a major commentator. I would would agree with that. that. (laughs) But give me me 30 seconds on that. The CBC, they always come for us here at The Rebel. Now they're coming for this website called The Post-Millennial, which I admire. Can you give me 30 seconds of thoughts on the CBC attack on you?
1: I I can only imagine that the attack, when do you attack people? You attack people when you feel threatened. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I I take it as a great compliment that they tried to attack the post-millennial. But uh, in their attack, it was really quite, I thought, quite amateur because there was nothing of substance there. And they did admit that there was robustness of opinion. Uh, So, you know, and they, they, they talked a lot about transparency, but they didn't. They weren't very transparent themselves because uh, they were quoting a professor of journalism uh, in their favor and against us. And and it turns out that that professor of journalism was himself at one time a political operative because uh, they had accused our writers of being, you know, uh, too political, too politically engaged, too partisan, all yeah. that. Uh, so as if as if the CBC is not yeah. partisan or yeah. is not, you know, itself tilted uh, quite far leftward. So in the end, the post-millennial ended up with a, a huge number of new followers, uh-huh. and uh, a lot of people were uh, making mockery uh, of the CBC. So I don't think, I think it was, uh, they. it was an own goal yeah. for the CBC. Uh, Bad move.
0: Well, I think you, you've got the right right attitude. If they're attacking you, it's because they see your, your following, they see that your voice is getting out, and... Um, and I, I would congratulate you and I would say, I, I know how it feels to be attacked by the CBC and you should take it as a badge of achievement. And I know you do. Great to see you, my friend. Happy Canada Day. Happy Dominion Day. And we look forward to our next conversation.
1: Thanks, Ezra. Same to you. All Thanks. right.
0: There you have it. Our friend Barbara Kaye, very, very thoughtful piece in the National Post. And of course, you can follow her also on that independent website I just mentioned called The Post Millennial. Stay with us. More Ahead on the Rebel. that's our Canada Day edition. hope you're having some fun. Maybe some fireworks, which is a little un-Canadian, isn't it? It's a little too rambunctious. And maybe some barbecue. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for free.